The AP poll is out and the Purdue Boilermakers remained in first place, although they lost a significant amount of first place votes, once again exposing the flawed what have you done for me lately attitude of the AP voters. You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Well, the AP poll came out, and as expected, the Purdue Boilermakers, despite a loss on the road at Assembly Hall against the Indiana Hoosiers, despite the loss, Purdue is still the number one ranked team in the country, as they should be. We discussed this on Monday's episode of Locked on College Basketball between myself and co-host Isaac Shade. We talked about Purdue. We talked about the loss against Indiana and really how how it shouldn't impact where they are in the standings. The team only has two losses on the season, lost to Rutgers by one point, this loss to Indiana, a very, very good team, two ranked teams as Rutgers has snuck into the AP top 25 yet again. We'll talk about that more later in the segment. But uh, one of the things we kind of discussed on Monday's show that we ended up seeing kind of come to fruition here on, on Tuesday is a lot of AP voters didn't keep Purdue as their number one team. Purdue still received 38 out of 62 first place votes. So they were still overwhelmingly selected as the number one team in America. Again, as they should have been. The Houston Cougars got 22 first place votes. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, got one first place vote. And in a bit of a surprise, uh, the Arizona Wildcats, who have been on an absolute roll lately under Coach Tommy Lloyd, they've been fantastic. Azulis Tabellas, 40 points against the Oregon Ducks. Shout out to him. But they also received a first place vote. And kind of what this shows is that a lot of AP voters tend to have a what have they done for me lately type of attitude. And, and we've seen this show up. I know Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated wrote a fantastic article a few weeks ago, kind of highlighting some of the flaws and kind of group think attitude that you get with an AP voter. And it's not necessarily a, a critique of specific voters, more just the general way that AP voting is viewed. And part of that is really just looking at the team's record over the last week. From when the last time you voted to the next time you voted, what has changed? And if a team has lost, they move down. If a team has won, they move up. And certainly there are voters who take it more seriously than that. It's not a, an indictment on everybody that they're just, oh, this team went 2-0, and oh, so they move up. This team went 1-1, one and one, so they move down. This team went 0-2, oh so they move down more. There's more nuance. There's more context to it. Obviously, it depends on your opponent, home road splits, the you know margin of victory, injuries, various, various things that should go into this conversation. And that for many voters probably do go into that conversation, but not necessarily everybody. I think the Houston Cougars are a fantastic basketball team. I had them number two on my top five that was released on Monday's episode. Alabama came in at number three. I know Isaac had them flipped. And I think there's a legitimate argument for those two teams kind of right in the conversation for two and three. But the fact that 23 people picked one of those two schools above Purdue is just surprising to me. I don't see a strong argument for either of those programs over Purdue right now, with the only compelling argument being that neither of those two teams lost last week while Purdue did. That can't be the only argument. Purdue has nine quad one wins. 
Alabama has six. Houston has five. Among quad two losses, Purdue has two. Alabama has three. Houston has one. But Houston also has a quad three loss to Temple. The net rankings, the quad system certainly is not the only thing that should be factored in when looking at wh- where you're ranking players, but a ranking team, excuse me. But to me, Purdue's resume is, is clearly ahead of Alabama's. It's clearly ahead of Houston's. You could make an argument that, oh, if they play it on a neutral site, whatever, maybe, maybe, maybe Alabama beats Purdue. They have a ton of athletes. Brandon Miller is an absolute star, but I don't know how they're going to stop Zach Eady. And ultimately, I don't think that Purdue losing to Indiana should move them down over Houston, over Indiana, certainly not over Arizona. Again, all programs that I think are very solid, but it, to me, it was it's interesting to see that voters basically, it's hard for me to see that they're doing anything other than just saying, hey, this team lost, so we're going to have to bump them down a spot. And again, 38 out of 62 first place votes for Purdue. So it's not like this was a overwhelmingly common theme, just something that I think kind of exposes some flaws in the AP voting kind of style that a lot of the voters use, because I think that it's it's too reliant on the very most recent data as opposed to looking at the players or the team's overall resume on the season. Because if you look at the overall resumes for these three teams, I'm not sure you can make a really compelling argument that either Alabama or Houston should be ahead of Purdue. Looking ahead at the rest of the AP poll and how things shook out on Monday's vote, Kansas State was the biggest faller. They fell from 7 to 12. Uh, It's really hard in the Big 12. We know that uh, they lost three of their last four games, but those three losses were to Iowa State, Kansas, and Texas. Pretty darn good basketball programs right there. Their win in that group was against Florida in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Kansas State still 18-5 and on the year, still third in the Big 12, which is just ridiculous. Very, very difficult to be in third place in the Big 12. Uh, They got TCU tonight as we're recording this, as you're listening to this on Tuesday. Uh, They also have Texas Tech this week, so if they can pull two wins out there, I suspect we will see them back in the top 10 by next week. Uh, UConn barely escaped Georgetown. Patrick Ewing's program, which is in complete disarray in D.C. UConn barely escaped with a victory, yet they moved up three spots. We will talk a lot more about UConn at the end of the show today, but that was a bit of a mysterious rise for the Huskies at this point. And then we have three new teams joining the AP poll, and I want to talk about those three teams and kind of what they're the likelihood of them continuing to stay in the AP poll going into next week. The first new team joining the uh, AP rankings at 22 overall is NC State, the Wolfpack, 19-5 and on the year, four-game winning streak. And they're now just one game out of first place in the ACC. The ACC has got a lot of schools kind of jumbled towards the top right now. It's some, almost anybody's game uh, in the Atlantic Coast Conference. NC State, absolutely in that conversation. They got a big one tonight against Virginia. If they can pull out a victory on the road against Virginia, that's going to significantly help their odds of staying in the AP poll. If they lose that one, though, pretty good chance that they are one and done in the AP poll, at least right now. Number 23, Creighton coming back into the rankings, 15 and eight on the year, but they've won six in a row. This Creighton team outside of a a rough stretch uh, earlier in the season, just before conference play started when they had Ryan Kalkbrenner out with an injury. Other than that, Other than that wicked six-game losing streak, this team has been phenomenal this year. Absolutely phenomenal. They beat Xavier six wins in a row. Last week, it was Georgetown and Villanova. Certainly not the strongest teams in the Big East, but, you know, there's not really – outside of Georgetown and maybe DePaul, to an extent, St. John's, there's not really any easy wins in the Big East. But getting one in Georgetown, getting one at Villanova, winning six in a row, has the Blue Jays back in the national conversation and at number 23 in the AP poll. They got Seton Hall on Wednesday – 
on the road, Shaheen Holloway's squad's going to be ready for him. That's not going to be an easy victory uh, for Creighton. But if they pull that one out, they'll have a good chance of staying in the AP poll. And at number 24, Rutgers. Rutgers is back in the top 25, 16-7 on the year. They had a nice week last week. They blew out Minnesota, absolutely torched the Golden Gophers, and also beat Tom Izzo and the Michigan State Spartans, and that's a, a really nice win for them. Izzo went on to say he thinks Rutgers is the second-best team in the Big Ten. Uh, that's a fantastic compliment from him. This is a very, very solid Rutgers team. They got themselves a tough one tonight as well at Indiana, the same place, Assembly Hall, where the Hoosiers just defeated Purdue. Not going to be an easy place to win if Rutgers can pull that one off against Indiana. Likelihood of them not only staying in the AP poll, but moving into the top 20 is pretty high, but a loss there, which is very, very possible to a really good Indiana team, a loss there likely brings them out of the rankings. Just two days after a nice rivalry win over North Carolina, the Blue Devils of Duke got absolutely waxed by Miami on Big Monday. Is it time for us to be seriously worrying about John Shire? Before we get to that, though, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your local Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, joined today by the great J.J. Jackson of Locked On Blue Devils. J.J., the euphoria of handing North Carolina a loss in this great rivalry on Saturday. I think it wore off pretty quickly here. Big Monday, a disaster for the Duke Blue Devils. Got smacked around by Miami. I'll, I'll be honest with you, J.J., I turned the game on a few minutes late. It was 10-1, to 1 and I thought, okay, well, that's you know that doesn't really matter. It's early in the game. I don't think Duke got any closer than that from that game. What the heck happened in this one? Yeah, I've seen Tar Heel Hangover put out there a good bit, Andy, and, and I think that's so accurate. I mean, yeah. what a big win it was for Duke on Saturday night in Cameron, and then a, a team that's dominated by so many freshmen and not yeah. that lack of or not that um, senior leadership and yeah. upperclassmen there to kind of lead the way and push them through. You were worried about something like this. Duke mm-hmm. did beat Miami a few weeks ago, but that yeah. was only a two-point victory inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. And then we saw this exact same scenario because mm-hmm. after that win, what a big win it was for Duke at home against Miami. What mm-hmm. happened? Well, two days later, they played a big Monday once again. They took a trip mm-hmm. up to Blacksburg. We were all terrified that Derek Whitehead suffered a season-ending yep. injury, and Duke mm-hmm. picked up a loss on mm-hmm. the night. So these quick turnarounds have not been easy for this young freshman Duke team. Well, let's talk a little bit about that that kind of youth of this team because Duke and Kentucky, to an, to an extent, have been teams that have often relied on bringing in a lot of youth, bringing in a lot of, you know, three, four, five at times, marquee, five star, you know, projected to be one and one, one and done type freshmen. And 
there's always a bit of a risk in doing that. You see some classes like we saw, maybe I'm dating myself, but Kentucky 10 years ago with the Anthony Davis and that class that they had. And Duke has certainly put together some monster classes in the, pa- in the past. But when it doesn't work, you kind of get left with a situation where you have a team here that has little veteran depth, you know, freshmen who are, are inconsistent. Obviously, Derek Whitehead is hurt. That is kind of, you, know, you can't really factor him in there. But Derek Lively, he had a nice game here against Miami, but he's averaging less than five points, less than five rebounds a game. Kyle Filipowski really struggled in this one. Tyrese Proctor struggled in this one. Like, what do you make of, of the freshman class that seems to have a handful of talented players, but they're not doesn't seem like anybody's put it together at the right time for this program. Yeah, no, for real. And I think the big thing is that there aren't transcendent freshmen that mm-hmm. are a part of the factor in the bunch yeah. here because, you know, you have seen Duke um, going all the way back to, to Kyrie Irving over right. a decade ago when they've kind of made this transition to mm-hmm. a one-and-done program with right. the top-line talent coming in, years where they don't have – superstar mm-hmm. freshmen, right. still good freshmen. These are still mm-hmm. the best freshmen that are out there in the country. Mm-hmm. It is a top recruiting class and yeah. all of that sort of thing. But it's not these transcendent level players like mm-hmm. Apollo Bancaro a year ago. Yeah. Certainly not like the year with Zion Williamson, right. RJ Barrett, and Cam Reddish. So right. I think that's kind of been the biggest difference, and that's where Duke has needed to have more senior leaders and upperclassmen with experience, and they really only have Jeremy Roach. Jalen mm-hmm. Blakes was a scholarship player as a freshman on last year's team, but mm-hmm. he didn't play. These are right. Those are the only two scholarship players back this year, mm-hmm. and so the fact that these freshmen aren't transcendent-level players, that's not been a perfect formula for Duke to find success in those tough moments, in these 48-hour turnovers to get to big Monday games like this. Well, what about – the transfer portal. I mean, we, we obviously have seen teams can entirely rebuild rosters using a transfer portal and it's sure. brand new and certainly teams have, have had to figure out what do we do? How do we fit this in? I know I spoke with Owen Valentine, a locked on Syracuse recently, and, and Bayheim has expressed a lot of discontent with all of college basketball right now, quite honestly, <laughs> but uh, they had six freshmen coming in. So for them, they were kind of hesitant to utilize the transfer portal. You could see or imagine why Duke might've been in a similar situation, but they bring in a kid like Jacob Grandison and he hasn't done much of anything this year. He's been an entirely non-factor. I remember many articles uh, before the season, like this is going to be one of the top 10 most impactful transfers in the country. And he hasn't been anywhere close to that. Do you think it's an issue of John Shire not finding the right pieces? Were they, overly reliant on expecting this freshman class to be more productive than they were? Do you think it's maybe a combination of those two things? Because not having any veteran depth on this team, I mean, you already said it, it's clearly impacting this program. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it'd probably be a little bit more of the latter than the former, Mm -hmm. that they probably were expecting those freshmen to be just a touch better than they were. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, clearly they didn't have Derek Lively the second and right. Derek Whitehead being injured in preseason mm-hmm. on their bingo card for things that they wanted to see right. prior to the season started. That kind of set them back a little bit. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, Jacob Grandison just hasn't lived up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. I was someone who definitely was a proponent for what he was able to bring. I mean, Andy, last season mm-hmm. in the past two years at Illinois, the dude is shooting like 60% yeah. in corner three-point attempts, and you're thinking about Roach and Proctor mm-hmm. and the ball movement and kick-out ability to shooting. Yeah. You just haven't seen that, which has been really unfortunate for the Stoop team, not to mention 
other impact players like Ryan Young, someone in the transfer portal who has been a positive, a bonus for Duke. But you see in their big win against North Carolina on Saturday, a win that clearly could define the season, one, one that we're so excited about. Ryan Young only plays six minutes scored a bucket in the game, didn't make that big of an impact right. when Duke really needed to and him, that sort of thing. So uh, I think it's more of the problem of, hey, these freshmen, we expected a little bit more out of them. They've been hurt, but also when they've been on the floor, it's not been uh, dominant. Well, let's talk about the John Shire of it all, I suppose. Yeah. We're talking about a coach who had to replace an, an absolute icon, a college basketball legend, a coach who'd been at Duke for 150 years approximately in Mike Krzyzewski, and, and that's no easy feat. And to be able to continue to recruit successfully as Shire has done for this class, of course, and then, of course, for next year's class is is huge and, and really impactful for this program. But at the end of the day, you got to win games. I think it's it's too early to put any kind of significant label on Shire's coaching ability. We're, we're very, very new into this, but when you see the newcomers and even the veteran guys not living up to those expectations, do you start to get concerned about like, is, is this the right person to lead this program going forward? I think living in the moment, it's certainly easy to kind of have those thoughts and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. I'm guilty of it myself. Sure. I think you then have to remind yourself of the man, like you were saying, that he mm -hmm. is replacing the greatest coach mm -hmm. that's walked the sidelines, the most wins, more than anybody mm -hmm. else in those five titles. I don't yeah. have to go on a, a Coach K love fest here, but I do think that's important to remind yourself mm -hmm. that this guy was there for four-plus decades. This right. is totally new. Uh, it's 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 a Coach K looking back when he mm -hmm. took over the job, really at the same age, at 33 years old, like John Shire finds himself here today. Those first mm -hmm. few seasons in Durham were not great, and a lot of people did want to see Mike Shashevsky fired and moving on to the next guy. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's important to not live as much in the moment, right. but Andy, it is so totally fair to ask those questions because mm -hmm. with the sport that is changing, with the transfer yeah. portal that is very clearly a part of the future and NIL and all those things, you mm -hmm. want to make sure the head coach is right. I do think it ultimately is John Shire that needs mm -hmm. to be in this spot. Yeah. I just think it's going to have some warts and learning curves along the way. Last question for you, JJ. You're watching this game, looking at the ACC as a whole this season, which has been kind of up in the air. Virginia has been near the top. Clemson was at the top for a while. For me personally, I'll say this. I don't. I have not seen a team that is better back like top to bottom than the Miami Hurricanes. I think this is the best team in the conference. Certainly, there's maybe some recency bias after watching this game. Yeah. But are you? Do you feel like this is Miami's conference to lose? Do you think Virginia's in the conversation? And quite frankly, do you think Duke can? Is there a way that they can put themselves back in the conversation to win an ACC title? Yeah, I, I really think it would have helped if they got the win mm -hmm. uh, against Miami and this one to be back mm -hmm. in that conversation. You know, we had that game over the weekend where Miami mm -hmm. travels to Clemson. That's the other yeah. thing. They, they, you see kind of their uh, experience step yeah. up in moments like this because they had just as quick of a turnaround mm -hmm. as Duke did in playing a game like this. Right. Going into the Duke and Miami game, however, if you were to look at the Duke and Clemson result earlier in the season, Andy, mm -hmm. what's wild to think about, if you just flip that result, give Duke the win and Clemson the loss, the shuffleboard switches entirely. Duke all of a sudden would have been out in front in the driver's seat Clemson falls way back behind. Miami's kind of there in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's such a jumbled mess right now, but I do think Miami's the best team I've seen in the conference, and they'd be my pick to win it going the rest of the way. 
JJ Jackson, thank you for coming on the show, for providing your insight. It's going to be a wild finish in the ACC. We'll see if Duke and those freshmen can can right the ship between now and March. Thanks again for coming on. Absolutely, Andy. Thanks for the invite. Well, the Big East Conference has a massive game Tuesday night between Marquette and UConn. More on that game and the surprising dominance of this conference after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The Super Bowl is nearly here, and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that is even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your pets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Maybe you like Duke's odds to beat the spread on the road against Virginia on Saturday, or maybe you like Marquette tonight at UConn. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. Thrilled to be joined. Closing out the show with Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden. Matt, the Big East now has five teams ranked inside the AP Top 25. Marquette at 10, Xavier at 13, Providence at 20, UConn one spot behind them at 21, and then Creighton at 23. No Villanova in that group. Two of these teams are playing tonight on Tuesday. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, I kind of want to ask, we're in February now, looking at how the conference season has played out. What are kind of the, the most surprising things that have kind of shaken out? Is it Villanova not being in that conversation? Is it Marquette being at the top? Kind of what things have, have really surprised you this season in the Big East? Well, I think that those two are two of the top storylines. Mm -hmm. But I think if you went back to the end of November and said that coming into February here, mm -hmm. the start of February, Creighton was going to be the fifth team yeah. ranked in the Big East. And just only now getting back into right. the AP Top 25, that would be the most shocking. This team mm -hmm. started off the year 6-0, and looked really good. It's only losses. The first couple of losses it had were all neutral site or road losses in close mm -hmm. games. Then Ryan Kalkbrenner gets sick, misses yeah. a bunch of time. They lose six in a row, and everything kind of spirals. And mm -hmm. Outside of that losing streak, this team's been really, really, really good. Mm -hmm. Just took until now to build back up the resume and the win total to get into the AP Top 25. So that them being fourth in the standings, fifth in the AP poll in the Big East, I think is shocking. Marquette also, this is the second year they've moved up from ninth in the preseason poll to something way higher. Mm -hmm. Being a top 10 team, and this is a bona fide top 10 team. They're not mm -hmm. just there in the rankings because they have the resume. The computers back it up too. Marquette is really, really, really good. So you put that all together. That is shocking. And Villanova not being here, I don't think is super mm -hmm. shocking because we all knew Justin Moore was going to miss time. And I think the question was, what when was he going to get back and what was the team going to look like then? So I think them not being ranked wouldn't be a shock. I think we'd all say, oh, they underperformed a little bit, and they're probably in the, the 25 to 40 range there, mm -hmm. not not where they are at the moment. For me, like, there's a lot of things that, that stand out as being things we wouldn't have expected before the season started. I'm looking at the Ken Palm rankings right now. Marquette has the fourth best offense in the country. For a while, it was number one. Right now, it's Purdue, Iowa, and Baylor who are the only three teams that have a higher adjusted offensive ranking in Ken Palm. 
we know Shaka Smart, obviously a fantastic coach. It's not like anybody was truly debating that, or if anybody was, uh, it was a small majority, I would imagine. But how shocked are you to see Marquette kind of having one of the best offenses all in basketball, once again, kind of rising from these preseason expectations of, hey, this isn't even going to be a real player in the Big East to not only the player in the Big East, but a legitimate contender to be one of the best teams in all of college basketball. Is that kind of stand out to you as something that should we just stop underrating uh, Shaka Smart anymore? Is that the deal? <laughs> yeah. When I spoke to him at Big East uh, Media Day, mm-hmm. I, was, I wanted to talk to the coaches about their thoughts on the transfer portal and the sure. way that impacts stuff. And talking to Shaka, he was basically like, I don't care that much about the transfers. My whole thing is to get guys in year one, they acclimate to what I do year mm-hmm. two. That's when they show off who they are. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys on the team are in year two under Shaka Smart. Right. So if this is what his system can look like when he gets his guys and he puts it all together, then Marquette's going to be doing this mm-hmm. for multiple years in a row. And everybody in that offense can pass so well. I think that's mm-hmm. what's most obvious. One through five, they all pass well. They've got Tyler Kolek, who might be the best passer in the country yeah. as a guard. He's one of the best five. Mm-hmm. Also, Iguodaro is a very good finisher under the rim. And I look at Cam Jones as a guy who's kind of the X factor. He shoots the three ball so well. He's a spark plug on defense, too. He just has that killer instinct. He makes the shots at the right times every time there's a close game. And you put it all together, it's, I wouldn't be shocked if they get back up to number one at some point down the stretch here. Well, there's five ranked teams in the, in the Big East, as we talked about. They're not the top five teams in the Big East standings, though, believe it or not. UConn is sixth in the Big East right now with Seton Hall. Shaheen Holloway's squad is one game ahead of UConn right now. they got some big games coming up later this week, which will kind of help us determine whether they really are going to stick as a top five team. But I guess my question to you, Matt, is does the fact that Shaheen Holloway and Seton Hall is ahead of UConn in the standings say more about that team and perhaps us underrating them? Or does it say more about UConn and what has been going on with them over the last couple of weeks? That's tough to tell. I I do think a certain part of this is just the way the schedule played out. But Seton Hall has avoided the dumb mistakes in conference Mm -hmm. play that Mm -hmm. UConn made. Seton Hall swept St. John's. That's mm-hmm. not something UConn has been able to do. They, they've played mm-hmm. once and UConn lost at home to them. Right. Seton Hall beat UConn. I think what it shows is with the right group of players, mm-hmm. UConn is beatable. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different ways you can beat them. There's some weaknesses on that team. And this is a Seton Hall team. They won twice last week. They were down by 13 points in each game, came back wow. to win. They're long. They're old. They don't play very good offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, against DePaul, they missed their first 11 shots. Yeah. They didn't make a basket until nine minutes and 21 seconds into the ball game. Mm-hmm. But they won. And mm-hmm. I don't there's – there's a little bit of last year's Providence team in the Seton Hall group in mm-hmm. that they're, that old team, and they just find ways to win that you don't mm-hmm. really see coming. They got three quad one wins. They beat Rutgers. They had Rutgers to 43 points in the non-conference. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, a good Seton Hall team. It's put up or shut up time for them right now. They get Creighton tomorrow night. They play at Villanova Saturday night. These are two that they need to prove that they're not just a team that can kind of get by but gets blown out by the teams at the top. And to an extent, it's that for UConn right now to add back to the resume and prove that they belong in the top tier of the Big East. Well, they got an UConn has an incredible chance to do that with the game against Marquette Tuesday night. In Hartford, Connecticut, massive game for the Huskies. Also a big game for Marquette as well. Uh, I'm curious, kind of just a a preview of this game, how you see this thing shaking out. And and 
do you think UConn has the horses to pull off what would be a, a, a really necessary victory for this team against a really good team in Marquette? Well, the last time that UConn lost a road game to one of the best teams in the Big East and then faced that team at home mm -hmm. and needed a win, they couldn't get it. That's when Xavier came in. Yep. Xavier ran up a huge lead right off the bat, and Marquette mm -hmm. has the type of offense that can do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think this game tonight is about scheme for either mm -hmm. of these teams. It's about execution. Sure. UConn has seen this before. This is another test. They failed the first test. This is one you got to find a way to pass. You have to split with Marquette. You can't get swept by Marquette and Xavier mm -hmm. in the same season and expect to be ranked that highly or to have a high seed or to finish mm -hmm. top four in the Big East. This is where they have to do it. The first game, UConn actually had a huge run, and then Marquette answered at home, was able to pull it out. They got some big shots in there, and they forced a lot of turnovers. And that's that's kind of the X factor here. UConn has turned the ball over a lot at times. They've had issues with point guard play this year. Marquette's defense, that's what they love, love, mm -hmm. love to do. We all know Shock is smart. Mm -hmm. So they have to protect the ball. Tristan Newton for UConn has played a yeah. lot better the last couple weeks, and UConn has looked better because of that. They just gritted out a tough win against Georgetown, where I actually thought Georgetown played pretty well. I thought UConn played well, too. They made some big plays down the stretch to seal that win, and I think we're going to get a close game. I think we want to see UConn slow down the tempo, control the ball, play the way the Huskies want to play, and they can come away with a win. Marquette controls the pace, though. It's going to be a, a long night for the Huskies. Well, Matt, thank you as always for your insight into the Big East. A really, really fun week and weekend of games coming up for the conference as we get closer and closer to March. And of course, the very fun Big East tournament at the Garden. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Don't forget to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Leave us a review on iTunes. Way more fantastic content coming your way later this week here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. For now, peace out.